Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season, we're chatting with people from different walks of life to hear their stories and how God has been faithful throughout. This is a really special episode, so drive to work, go for a jog or a slog, slow jogging, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Helen Bacon, who is a lady who goes to my church. Helen was a missionary in Thailand for 40 years and also grew up as a missionary kid. And so she has some amazing, amazing wisdom to share. And yes, you better be excited because it's going to be good. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. We are very excited. Jen and I have been, yeah, again, Jen's just heard about you, so she's been looking forward to finally meeting meeting the Baconator or Bacon Bits or whatever's the best uh, to go by for you. Or Helen. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come to any name. (laughs) I feel honored to be asked to share with you. Yeah. I hope I don't disappoint Jen. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I'm so excited that you're here because, I mean, this whole season we're, we're having people from different seasons and generations in life and, and with from what I've heard anyways um, in your life experience and where God has led you. I, I'm just excited to, yeah, sit here with you and, and for people to hear your story too. I'm really excited. Um, but so people can get to know you and for me to get to know you a little bit better, tell us about yourself. Well, you want me to do that in a thumbnail sketch. It's quite long. Um, I was born in 1939, so you guys figure out the math. I was made in China, born of a missionary kid. But being born in China didn't make me Chinese, right? And it didn't make me a Christian, being born in a Christian family. But we were a very, very mobile family. I don't think during my first 16 years, we ever lived together longer than three or four years. My father was in the Second World War. My my sister and I went to boarding school in China. Um, My sister had to leave when we lived in PEI to go to another school. So, you know, and I have lived in, I think, five provinces, and I've lived in five cultures. I was in New Brunswick at the time when I, I uh, was going into nursing, and I was too young. So I, <laughs> they wouldn't take me in any hospital down there. So I came up to the Ottawa Civic, and that's where I took my uh, RN. And it was there that I really discovered the reality of Jesus, and he really came to know him. I went on to Toronto Bible College, which is now Tyndale, I've been to McGill University and Ottawa universities to get my my degree in nursing. Sort of did it the long way around. Um, missionary internship in Detroit. And I served several summers among uh, the Cree Indians, um, Manitoulin Island, and up north in uh, Quebec. So uh, that's why I speak of being cross-culture. And I served Jesus in medical and hospitality ministries in Thailand for 40 years. 
And don't ask me how many beds I slept in and all the furloughs that I came home and how many meetings I took, but it was always a, a challenge to come home. <laughs> but I enjoyed that too. And that happened every two to four years. Um, you mentioned becoming a Christian in nurses training, so tell us maybe a bit of a lesson you learned there. I learned, uh, I'm not going to tell you my actual conversion, that's quite long, but I was a brand new Christian. I was working on the ward, uh, day ward, day shift, uh, with a friend that I knew well. And she was behind time, and we were trying to get off duty, and she, I offered to help her. So she said, well, I hadn't given out her me medicines. And I thought, well, I could do that. Um, she had poured them. Mistake number one. There's a protocol for this. So I took my little happy tray and went to two rooms. And then I realized, I think in the second room, that I had given one of them wrong. So, of course, I, I picked it up. And uh, I went back to the girl and I said, you know, I made a mess of this. And she said, oh, never mind. We all do it all the time. Uh, don't worry about it. It's only a vitamin. You know, it's not an important medicine. But I, brand new Christian, and I had been, it's in Acts. And it says that Paul says there, I strive to have a clear conscience with God and with man. So I knew what I had to do. So I waited. I didn't want to uh, involve the other girl. So I waited, and I, I went to the head nurse, and she was real battle-axed. And I thought, boy, I'm, I'm really going to get it. But when I told her, she, her mouth fell open, and she looked at me. She said, you're the only student who has ever come and admitted it. And uh, so I told her. And I have a clear conscience. And I said, I, you know. And then uh, she said, but I'll have to refer you to your teacher. So she did, and I knew her. I had to do a assignment but that was quite a lesson but I learned from that one that it was safe to fail with Jesus that's the story from that one how did you know that you know you wanted to or were called to to be a missionary now this is interesting it's going to be a challenge to young people I believe I was called at nine years old I was in a, a Chinese hospital in Chengdu Sichuan West China I was going to boarding school and I had a I don't know, some sort of funny disease in my knee. And I went to this hospital, and somebody had taken me there from the boarding school. And I saw these people outside, and I, they were, it was pouring rain. They didn't have any shelter. They were completely shunned by everybody. And I can remember as a kid thinking, those people, why are they being shunned? And they said, Bill, they're, they're, they're leprosy. And uh, I remember as a child, I knew God. It was God of love. I didn't know Jesus as my Savior, but I knew God. It's interesting as a God of love. And I think a lot of people, you know, hear that, okay, it's God of love. Uh, and I thought, they need to know this God loves them. And I'm going to be a nurse, <laughs> I'm going to come back. That, I can actually say that I felt over the years that that was my call. It was funny because my mother told my grandmother, and my grandmother said, oh, ladies, don't become nurses. Hmm. That, that was the thinking in those days. Because you're looking at, you know, 1940s. So I had my call as a kid. So don't, you know, when you see little ones, you never know. Wow. I remember, I mean, obviously the work that we do here at Youth Unlimited YFC 
in like Ontario, we are from Ontario, is is different than overseas missions, but it's missions nonetheless. I remember when I was ten, and I really believe that's when my calling came. We were, Amen. yeah, and I and I think about ten year olds now. I'm like, that's how old I was when just this no, I don't even know, like obviously the Holy Spirit, but at that point I didn't understand. I just just this knowing fell over me that I was going to be a missionary as I sat in my home church and listening to our family friends who are serving overseas. And it is amazing how God speaks to us when we are young. Yes. That it's really easy to, I mean, as adults to maybe brush it off a little bit. But that's so cool to hear you because I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, that happened to me too. I mean, different, but that's really, really encouraging. Um, As you've been serving overseas for decades, what was the hardest sacrifice going into it? You know, it's interesting. I, I ran into a Bible college friend. We've been friends ever since way back. And uh, a sacrifice. Did you feel that you sacrificed anything when you went overseas? And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said no. And I can honestly say that because I was prepared. I had lived overseas. Mm. So I can't say that I sacrificed, quote, unquote, anything. Um, except I laughed because somebody said to me, looked me right in the eye, and he said, I mean, I, you are, uh, let's see now, how they worded it. It's only going to be 70% sure, or you're going to lose 70%, that you're going to find a guy to marry over there. So she said, you know, I'm just preparing you for that. And I can remember looking at her, and uh, uh, I said, if the Lord has a guy out there, he will know, and I will know. It doesn't matter where we are. <laughs> You know, so, so it, uh, and as you know, I, I haven't married, and uh, um, I could have. I had a, uh, a boyfriend once that really wanted to be a pastor, but he had no desire to go overseas. And I found that so hard to our relationship. I just, do I give up my, my call for him? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt I couldn't. So we, we had to come to grips, grips about that. I was going to McGill at that time, and he was finishing at Bible College. But uh, it, you know, that, that kind of thing happens. <laughs> yeah, I um, can't say that I feel I sacrificed, but I think now, in retrospect, and you said you're from Ontario, your home's here. I feel that I didn't have the years of having inter- relational um, times with my biological family. So I missed out on that. Mm. And it's been very hard for me because we have a split family, some Christians, some not. And I'm the one that was over there. Mm. And, I, and I, coming back to, to Canada after all these years, it's, it's been hard from that respect. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could call that a sacrifice. You come here to Listwall, and everybody knew everybody else. Everybody was related, and I thought, oh, my land, you know. That's really something. <laughs> yeah. So you have to think about that, maybe, if you're really tied up with your family. Um, as I said, I, I think God prepared me for that. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many pieces to that. Like, you touching on, like, you you were in a relationship, and, and the fact that, you know, where you believe God was calling you is different. I think in this uh generation 
I think it's really tempting to just push those things like where God is calling you aside when it comes to relationships. Like, I really believe it's become an idol in this time. Um, Ainsley and I are both single and like we've had lots of conversations about this and what it means like serving in missions like here in like I grew up in Elmira just down the road half an hour Ainsley grew up here in town and and like our life looks different so what does that mean for family what does that mean for relationships what does that mean for like our community and and all those things and so as you're talking I really appreciate it it's just so comforting to me that it's like God's way is is the best like at the end of the day we have all that we need in him and that we are called to surrender our whole life to him and he will lead us where he wants us to go and so as you're talking I'm just taking it in and yeah just thinking about how he really does take care and meet every single need that we that we have and yeah kind of what we were talking or as I was praying that he actually gives us joy in serving him um so thank you for sharing. That's that was on my mind as you're talking. I'm like, wow, God, like this is just so cool. All these things. There's a lot more I could share, but <laughs> that's a tidbit. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting too because it's it's interesting to hear your call and how you were brought you know overseas and had to make your decisions. Because Jen and I kind of have the opposite. Now, I didn't have any type of feeling at nine or ten that I wanted to be a missionary. My sister did actually when she was little wanted to be in China. But, you know, her and I both pictured our ministry overseas and thought that that was what God wanted for us. And for me to now be called to my hometown where I grew up that I wanted nothing to do with. And and Jen, who's like a half hour from her hometown serving in this community, it, it looks very different from what I thought. And I think, you know, in, in my head wouldn't have necessarily thought was was meaningful. And, you know, we both have given up things, but we would both say, like, we have this conversation all the time, like, I had no idea what I was thinking to try to make my own plans. Like, it would have not turned out well and just been so thankful that God has given us the the path that we're on. Um, I, yeah, it's just... It is really true that God, God does have a plan. And I love that you say that God was preparing you. Like you didn't know as a child, like I'm going through all of this because later on in life, God is going to use this in a really meaningful way. Like you had no idea. Like we're just kids being kids doing our thing, but that God was already ahead of you doing things within your childhood that, you know, did prepare you and you get to look back on it and, and see all those ways, which I, I think is so cool. So. Well, you, you never know. And, and, Okay, say this. I went to missionary internship, and that was in Detroit. And that was like going into another country. I mean, U.S. And uh, at that time, of course, Detroit was, this was right like at the time of the 64 when uh, Martin Luther King and so on and so forth. And Kennedy was assassinated. I was at McGill that time. And anyway, I, uh, I got there. And I can't say, okay, I'd already said no to one guy. But there's a guy there. It was real cool. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was pretty well on my way by then. But uh, he and his dad were in a Christian, had Christian business. They were, and, and a brother. And the brothers, were they were different as chalk and cheese, these two guys. And one of them took me out, and we went to hockey games. And the other one took me out, and we went to classical concerts. He played a violin. I play a bit at the piano. So sometimes, you know, we do this. But... Uh, I just knew, because 
they were so tied up in their Christian business that there was no way that this could go on. And it was hard. What did you learn about yourself? I know that might be a very big, vague question, <laughs> but looking back over the years, um, what would you say is a is a yeah a main thing that you learned about yourself overseas? This is something I never thought that I could really almost hate somebody mm. until I went overseas, and this happened quite well. It was my attitude, and it was the person. Um, I stayed back one furl and, and did a year and a half to get my degree, University of Ottawa. And uh, before I left Canada, they said, I was going back to teaching. And they said, uh, uh, I got a letter saying, we're putting you in the operating room. And I thought, oh, nuts, I don't know. You know, I had three, three weeks as a student. Well, I'd been up north with the Indians. I learned a lot there. But I said, I, uh, um, you know, I don't know much about the operating room. And they said, well, we really would like you just to take over for a little while. And we think you're the one for it. And I thought, uh, I don't know. But I prayed about it. And I was leaving Ottawa University to go to field work in Kingston. So I said, could I go to the operating room? <laughs> and lo and behold, they put me up with an anesthetist there. I had to give anesthetics. An anesthetist there who was using the very machine that I had would be using. A simple, it's an ether type of machine, but it's, it's safer than some of the others. And um, there he was. He'd been up north and among the Indians, and we had great chats, and he told me this, that, and the other thing. They introduced me to this new drug called ketamine that was you could give it IM or IV, and it would put somebody out for a little while, and, you know, it was, it was brand new. So I took that with me, and uh, I went back. And but I knew my attitude wasn't right, though. And I, the, the operating room nurse who was there, we had one month four weeks to hand over. And I thought, you know, what am I going to learn in four weeks? But uh, we prayed every day that God would bring in stuff that I needed to know about. And he did. I tell you, we had everything from craniotomies, which is operation in the head, right down to, you know, the cesarean sections, you name it. We saw a lot that, that month. And uh, she was good. And she said, now remember that you set the atmosphere, not the doctor, not the patient, you set the atmosphere in the operating room, so keep cool, you know? And so advice like that came. But I knew I still wasn't, my attitude wasn't, I wasn't going to stay there forever. Uh, well, along came this female doctor. She had a Jewish background. She was Christian, but she had a Jewish background. And I think she had an IQ that was twice of mine, a brilliant woman. She's the only woman I know that could talk and knit and walk all at the same time, no problem at all. She just and she did her appendectomy in her coffee break, you know, bingo, nothing, no problem. Um, she could type and talk, write and tie, you know, just. And she learned like she she took a, a Greek or something on the way home back to England, and she she did it on the airplane, you know, going over. She's just that kind of a woman, but. She was the kind of person that always operated full of complaints. The lights weren't quite bright, or your your uh, instruments are complete, or the girls aren't quite doing what they should be. And I just I, I just got so there's no way I'm gonna work with this woman. So I went to the director and I said I I just don't know. And he said, Oh, she's only here for another month or whatever it was. Uh, just you hang in. 
So I get down on my knees that night. I can remember that. And I thought, well, dear Lord, please. Well, maybe she could have a broken leg. <laughs> I can, you know, get her out of here. That didn't work. Maybe I could get the broken leg and I'll get out of here, you know. Maybe that didn't work. I, I mean, it was really, I was serious. And, of course, the girls in the operating room, I had staff of eight. Uh, they knew what was going on, too. And um, so the Lord said, he took that the new commandment I give you. You familiar with that? It's in John thirteen thirty four that you love one another. By that, they will know that you're my disciples. So that made me think, okay, all these Thai people are watching us. And they know that I don't, I don't love her. And so um, I knew then, and it's just as if the Lord said, Helen, that's S-I-N. And um, I asked forgiveness from him. So <laughs> it just came back, well, you're going to have to ask it from her. And I thought, uh, I don't know. And I, I'm going to warn you, if you ask the Lord to set up something, he'll do it. And I've tried it. I've done it several times, and he's answered in funny ways. But this one, I said, dear Lord, you set it up, I'll be there. Well, I couldn't believe it about, I don't know, within a couple of weeks or whatever. And uh, they were having a conference, and they said, oh, um, this doctor and Helen would be left to look after the hospital. And uh, I thought, oh, boy, um, three days. First day, nothing happened. Second day, I was in the office with the girls, and the girls were doing charts and stuff. And, and she came in. They all left. I mean, just as the Lord said, as if he pushed me and said, there she is over there. <laughs> just go and talk to her. So I went over, and I said, uh, I called her by name, and I said, I, I don't know how to say this, but I said, I just find I can't love you. And uh, I almost hate you. I remember once I was sharing this in uh, in a varsity group, and I said, I just hated her guts. <laughs> you know, it's rather strong. But anyway, I, I, I just, you know what happened? That old fist went up in the air, her fist. And she said, I have cursed God for my IQ because I've hurt so many people. Wow. She knew. But she, you know, that's the way, that's, that was her. And we both cried and hugged each other. And, and uh, so somebody said, well, did anything ever change? And I said, well, I did, <laughs> you know. And the lights weren't quite right, and the, you know, I, I the thing is, she's that's the way she worked. Yeah. I mean, I at one point I even even had to query, being being the operating room nurse, uh, her technique. And I thought, well, I, you know, I went to the the doctor, and he again he waved it and said, you know, that's her way of doing it. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, that was a real lesson on how rotten I could be, and. Uh, Big learning moments, but not always fun ones. No. So you were, I mean, in missions really your whole life, but particularly you were in Thailand for quite a long time doing this. Um, what do you know about God that you didn't before? I think God just kept on teaching me. I think we have to remember that we as Christians call God Father. There's a whole lot of people out there that can't. The Muslims dare not call him Father, and they won't. And it's wonderful to see a Muslim come to the Lord and be freed to call him father. But I think of him, he's a parenting father. And I don't care if you're, how old you girls are and how old I am, 
he still parents us. And a parenting father will teach, he'll love, he'll guide, he'll discipline. And I can honestly say at my age, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> and he's not finished with me because there's a lot out there going on in our lives. And we're tested with this, that, and the other thing. Um, but he's there for us. So he's a parenting father. What does life and serving Jesus look like now? Because you're not in Thailand. <laughs> you're in Ontario. You were in Listful. What does it look like for you now? Well, I have to confess that uh, according to mission regulations, you have to resign when you're 65. So I was 65 in 05. I guess 04. And uh, so I came home. And, of course, we still had our year of uh, deputation work and so on. Uh, and then we, the three of us, um, had decided that we would we would share a home that actually the money was given to me by a prayer partner. I couldn't believe it. She told me about 10 years before that that when my father died, she said, do you have any money? You know, well, Dad didn't make very much money, and I didn't. I mean, I wasn't exactly in missions for money, and uh, I got stories on that too. Um, sometimes you just wonder where it's going to come from, but it, it comes. But anyway, uh, um, I, uh, I said to her, I, you know, Dad had left me so much. But she said, well, you don't have a home. She said, I want to give you a piece of real estate. And she did. So I, it was too much money. I, I told her, I said, I can't take that. Let me pray about it. Let me think about it. And I did. And I thought, well, there's Birdie. She didn't have a place to go. Uh, Ruthie didn't have a place to go. We knew each other from having lived and worked together um, overseas. And I went back to her, and she said, yeah. You know, she would be happy with that. And we worked it out in our in the buying of the place and uh, in our wills. That money of that house, it, it looks after us as we get older, if we have to sell the house or whatever. But if any money is left over from that, it's in a different account, um, it would be um, go to the mission. We had a home here, but Ruthie and I were asked to go back to Thailand. And I've gone back, I guess, five or six times. Maybe, see, because I'm over 65, I couldn't stay longer than six months. Mm -hmm. So I had a six-month time. I had a four-month time. I had two months, you know, to go and help with, mostly with the uh, um, the homes that were set up. Because we, after the hospital closed, Ruthie and I were asked to set up a home in, uh, with the um, uh, head office in Bangkok. And that was a challenge to go from this little tiny fishing village way down south. Um, it was good to go back and see the girls that we had trained. I don't know how many kids I trained in the operating room. I did teach them. And they got really good jobs in Bangkok, a lot of them. And uh, Yeah. But we were treated. They, they up the, your parents, the priest, and then the teacher, they have high respect for. Mm -hmm. And even when I retired, I had four girls say to me, Helen, or they called me Big Sister, by that time I was Granny Helen. A granny, we will look after you. And they would have in Thailand, taken, taken me into their home and looked after me. But we'd had that happen several times, and sometimes it didn't work out quite so well. So the mission said no. Well, I, I mean, my family said no, you've got to come home. It was funny to say, for them to say that, 
you have to come home. But then I found it hard to relate. Mm -hmm. uh, that was hard. Mm -hmm. And I still find it hard at times. Yeah. Because yeah. these, you know, my great nieces were born and great nephews. So I have five of them. And uh, I really don't know them. But it's, it's not easy. And really my family here is, well, it's, it's Bertie and Ruthie. Mm -hmm. The three of us here. And it's LEMC. That's the first church I've been in that long. You know, really, except for the little one in Cybury, which was, of course, high. But uh, see, people say, what's your home church? Well, apart from LEMC, I don't really have, you know, I had a church in Maritimes that supported me. I had churches up here that supported me. I had private people that supported me um, all over, but uh, not a home church. So you see here, life right now, I find that I'm not, retired. I am what I call retreaded. Mm. I got new wheels and so they're starting to wear out. But uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I feel it. I mean, that kind of thing comes in. We, we've been asked to, we've been being interviewed for a magazine article in OMF. So that's in the works. So some people said, are you, you know, are you bored? No. <laughs> Never. I bet you aren't either. I, th I find that, yeah. Pandemic, people have asked me about that. And uh, I find here in, in Lishwell, my father was very free. He was the padre in the army. So he picked up a lot of pieces of people as a chaplain. And I have seen a lot overseas too. Um, some, of the, some of the photos I have, I can't show it to anybody because you know, not necessarily were medics, um, because we, we saw a lot, uh, a lot of things that the medics would never see here. Um, so it's, it's, Dad was very open about talking about death. And he was, you know, we were going to heaven, so what are we worrying about? They were Christians. Um, no problem. But I find that people want sort of, I get the nitty gritty of getting old and okay, we're going to die. You may die of COVID. I don't know. I mean, I may die of COVID, but I'm I prepared for that. I just find that it's not easy. Like I said right at the beginning, I don't want a ventilator. I know what ventilators are. I've given enough people tubes down their throats. It's, you know, I, I said I, other people who are younger, let them have the ventilators. Um, so there was no question in our the three. Now the three of us are, I mean, well, you've gone through czars, cholera, dengue, Leprosy. I mean, you. After a while, you sort of get a bit immune to. Well, how am I going to leave this world? Accidents. You know, I was on an airplane once. I had an engine on fire, and I didn't know if I was going to blow up or, or you know, but it didn't. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I never heard that story. You never heard that one. No. <laughs> I was only eleven. I'm coming home from China, up in the Lucian Islands. On an Army base, uh, Air Force base, U.S. Air Force base, engine came on fire. We were going, supposed to be getting refueled there. So Chinese plane was full of Chinese. We were kicked out of China by the communists. And uh, we only could take what we could carry. So I've been an immigrant. <laughs> just, what I, just what I could carry. You know, we didn't have any, any other luggage. So the plane was jammed. My sister and I were behind a gas tank. And she was she was thirteen and I was eleven, and um, they came and told Dad that the 
engine was on fire. Uh, it was very, very foggy, uh, smoky looking. You couldn't sort of see it blazing, but it was on fire. So they had to jetson all the gas. So we went around and around and around to one hour. And then they said, we will come down in foam on the runway. And that I remember. Wow. And it said it'll either explode or it'll go out. So needless to say. That's reassuring. Yeah, well, so I'm still here. How many years later? Wow. <laughs> 73 years later. <laughs> Man, he was preparing you. Like, you like you fear nothing after going through that. No, I mean, I, well, I could give you a few more. I mean, we, I've been in isolation for eight months from terrorism. And we had police guards at the hospital. I mean, I could tell you stories that, yeah. And the hospital was shot up at one point. We had shoots, we had terrorists come and they, they had a ransom note that was supposed to be on the way and it came too late. <laughs> so it, they came and they shot at the hospital and praise the Lord, nobody was, nobody was hit. And there was my operating room girl, bullet went through her pillow, but she was turned the other way. There was a Christian girl who went on duty and there was a bullet in her bed. You know, and um, we had, we had uh, marks up in our our apartment too, and but nobody was nobody was nobody was hit, and um, there was dead silence. This happened at midnight. Superintendent says, uh, "Are you uh, anybody hurt?" And you know we were close enough that people could yell, and uh, we didn't have any intercom at that time, and so he uh, people said no no, and uh, he said, "Okay, well, just keep the lights off." Turn them off, because, see, girls are going on duty, so lights are on. That's, they were out in, the, out in the jungle shooting in that was on the other side of the hospital. Of course, I was in the, I was in the operating room. So um, I got up and went down to see what was going on, and uh, um, nobody was hurt, so it was okay. Uh, so it was pretty quiet that night. They called the police, and the police came, and... Uh, um, we didn't see anybody, of course, and nothing happened. But a letter came, a dirty little letter, and it had been along, on the way quite a while. And it had, if you don't pay us $2 million and the release of prisoners in Pakistan, this is Al-Qaeda, okay? Al-Qaeda mixed up with some of the guys in our area. Then we will do something. So we think what happened was that the letter came too late, you see, and they, so they had done something. Wow. <laughs> Before the, the time of instant messaging. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, um, but you can imagine, they said, give us, in the letter it said a week. So that was sort of a stressful week because we didn't know if that had, I think that was probably their message to us. But uh, uh, people were pretty careful. And they'd sometimes leave a bomb in a shopping basket or something. And so one of the girls left a shopping basket under her house. <laughs> Nobody wanted to go near it because he thought it was a, you know, it left there, but she had just forgotten it. But anyway, uh, uh, women and children left, but not one, only one staff left. They said, your God kept you safe. And I thought, have I got enough faith to believe that he's going to keep all 100 of us here safe, you know? And sometimes you'd see a, a yaw stick sitting out on the, uh, the road somewhere burning because, of course, the Buddhist way of looking at it. Wow. They 
But it was a great time to really uh, thank God for that. Of course, it meant quite a bit after. And uh, so we had we had people stay with us then for six months, and we weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, but we did have two missionaries who were kidnapped and killed. So they were leprosy nurses. So they had been out in a village, and you have to do that on a regular basis or, you know, so that could be planned by them. The girls were careful, but we, they took them. The same thing. They wanted money, 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 money. But I don't know if you realize that, but um, just recently, I think since I've been home, they've decided the government here has said we're not paying money for kidnapping. And the mission has just decided that too. We can't. Because you take one, you take another. We had one Swedish guy who was taken twice. They paid for him, and he, they took him again, and he paid for it. They're always doing this, you know. So we uh, we were told to be careful, yeah. But uh, so I think of being isolated, you know, we were in this compound. But that was alright. We had nice little, we had a very nice compound. But I loved to go to the beach. The beach was only ten minutes away, and yeah. and uh, I love body surfing. I could body surf. <laughs> I've got some pictures of me that. You wouldn't believe, you know, you go out and you get a wave and you bring it in and come in 300, 300 feet. It's fun. No, no riptide. You have to know that. Mm. Respect the water. Mm. Anyway, that's another story. We avoid suffering and pain so much. I mean, even thinking about medical procedures, right? People are knocked out. We have Advil, all these things where a couple, like even a hundred or I don't know, 200 years ago, we didn't have that. Um, and science, yeah, advancing, all that. But can you touch on that, on the gift that trials and sufferings bring as you kind of reflect on your life and these things that you've experienced, how that has refined you? Well, I think you know that now because, I mean, we had a director in Singapore. The headquarters of the Overseas Missionary Fellowship is Singapore. It used to be Shanghai to China, but now it's Singapore for for quite a few countries, actually. We work in about 16, 18 countries now. And um, anyway, uh, um, he was down there. He was Chinese. He came up to the hospital. And uh, uh, this was when the main hospital had closed, and Ruthie and I had been asked to help with the leprosy hospital and run the rest of the compound as a conference center, which we did. And... Uh, Anyway, uh, he came, and there was this, uh, I was trying to think of his name. It wasn't Jarek, it was another one. But, you know, Jarek was Thai. This was a, a Malay boy, uh, um, Muslim background, and he had leprosy. See, now, people don't realize, well, I could give you a whole lecture on that, and I won't, <laughs> but uh, on leprosy. But he had been hugged for a long time, and he was just, you know, he was sort of a 10-year-old kid. And so I hugged him every night. I put him in bed and hug him. And uh, so I said to this director, I said, it'd be really nice if a man could hug him. You know. <laughs> well, <laughs> he sort of looked at me like this. And so I thought I gave him a little lecture on leprosy. You know, it's not contagious. This is a kid that he, he knows all about Jesus' love and God's love to him. And uh, he'd really, he'd appreciate. I give him a hug, you give him a hug. It was the hardest thing for him to do, but he did it. We went down to the hospital. We, we used to say, uh, 
It was funny because they le soon learned it. We called it tuck in. You know, they tucked me to bed. So they, they called it tuck in. <laughs> they sort of put a little uh, emphasis on the tuck in. So we went in to tuck in and uh, uh, he hugged them. But that, it just shows you how, oh, so he learned something from that, you see, that we do learn from these experiences. Mm -hmm. And so not that I, I have to pray that I don't get frustrated with people or annoyed with people even who, who you know, because we've got a lot going out there now with the pandemic. We've got Christians jumping up and down. We're not taking the vaccine. We're leaving our churches open. You know, and I the latest one was the vaccine is is a shot in the dark. They don't know what it could kill you. And I I was horrified when I got that one. I mean, I'm a medic. I know. I read it and I thought, okay, that kind of drug can be dangerous, and it is used in vaccines. But I mean, we went and got our polio. You got your polio, okay? You got your TB. We got all that, and we didn't sort of jump up and down. But now, see, people sometimes they know too much, or they don't know enough, and they they. But how do we, now this is a question I'm going to ask you, and you could, don't have to answer it. How do we as Christians react to the authority over us? You know, people say, well, we're going to lose our freedom of religion. I said, well, the Chinese lost their freedom of religion. And look at the church, it took off. You know, they didn't have to gather in a big church. They had all these home churches that, you know, um, so you see, when you're exposed to that kind of thing, you, it can make you a bit hard <laughs> to, to relate to people who haven't been. Mm -hmm. So um, pain, have I ever known real pain? I was badly stung by a, a stingray, you know, my surfing. That served me right. <laughs> I mean, he had every right to sting me because I stepped on him. But <laughs> and he caught me in the ankle. And that's so typical, uh, and I, I didn't know what it was. So I came in, and uh, uh, the fishermen, all they knew what it was. And well, they said, that's going to hurt, and it was, it was very, very painful. And the girls, the girls say Helen came home crying because it was a 10-minute walk from the beach. And by the time I got home, I was almost in an anaphylactic shock because, of course, it got stirred up. So uh, I thought, dear Lord, you know, I came to the mission field, and I was killed by a stingray. <laughs> but you sort of laugh at this kind of thing in a way, but I learned lessons from that. And uh, I had great sympathy for the, for the local people because I had to do a lot. Uh, by the way, I went into the operating room. Attitude changed, and I loved it. I, people call, called me a medic because... They actually called me doctor because I did all the little stuff. Um, I mean, I took out thousands of teeth. I did thousands of sew-up jobs and peas and beans out of kids' ears and nose and other places. <laughs> you know, you name it. And all kinds of things like that, sew-up jobs. I taught a lot of their interns who came how to do stitching because I, I could stitch. I do better sewing on people than I do in clothes. But anyway... Uh, it's something I learned, that God can use you and can teach you new things and new ways. I never thought I'd be a, an OR nurse. Mm. Yeah, that's a complete surprise. Yeah. And you don't do a lot of preaching to people who are under anesthetic. <laughs> and you have to sort of... <laughs> <I'm going> to. <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord also taught me that. Um, 
I'll never forget the first Muslim guy who came to the Lord. The, the, it was a woman, actually, who led him to the Lord. Spoke wonderful Malay. I have a little bit of Malay. My work was all done, and I read and write Thai, but not Malay. I, I could understand enough, you know, which tooth you want out and so on. <laughs> but uh, I'd probably tell you with great gusto you needed your appendix out. <laughs> but, you know, that was your vocabulary you were using. But she came to me and she said, Helen, we led him to the Lord. It's teamwork. And we did have teamwork, very definitely teamwork. And you can see how I had to work it out with that woman, you know. But we were. We, we loved one another and we worked together and we brought people to the Lord. We had a Thai church and we had a Malay church, you know, after a while. Um, I was there 40, no, 30 years there. Um, we had to close, and you say, maybe why? The government did build another hospital. It was, there was nothing there, and we came. And we really were, 70% were Malay Muslims. But they were, they could speak Thai, and they had to speak Thai to come in training. And we trained girls. So uh, we really were sort of neutral, because we treated the Muslims, we treated the Buddhists, and... Uh, the Thai, yeah. And we had the honor of the King of Thailand to come twice. I actually have a picture of the King and I. Mm. I had uh, five minutes with him. It was a real honor. And he said to me, I'm so glad the missionaries came to Thailand. This is in English, thank goodness, because when you speak with royalty in Thailand, it's high language, very high. Mm. Um, and most of us didn't know that, although when we pray, we pray to God, we, we use high, tone, high language. And um, I said, well, why do you say that, Your Majesty? We were told, we were schooled, we were, say, we were not <laughs> to touch him, we were not to initiate anything. He had to initiate. So I said, well, why, why did you say that? And I knew he was looking for a word in English, and he finally said, because you show no prejudice. Oh. You don't, the, the leprosy person, the Tao Gad, which is your, your um, fisher manager, you know, who, who ran the whole show on the boats, you treat them the same. And I said, well, the Lord Jesus Christ showed no prejudice, to use that word. And then we talked about leprosy after that. Mm -hmm. And he actually became, a, uh, his, his medical staff actually subsidized our, our leprosy program. We had quite a big one. And uh, so he came twice. It was a real honor. So I have a picture of the king and I. <laughs> That's like a really special moment. I I feel like we could just chat for a couple of hours here, <laughs> Helen. For real. I'm just like, wow. I, I think, and you touched on it, God, like the way that he prepares us for the seasons to come, the way that he kind of like moves in the background in ways that we have no idea until maybe never but until oh, you're going to be surprised you're going to be surprised god <laughs> mm. is a god, surprising god mm. mm -hmm. just be open to him mm. yeah yeah i'm just sitting here taking it all in uh, like hearing about your faithfulness and in all of these situations and crazy experiences and and all of it is really a gift so thank you so much for, for being here and for sharing those things. Um, this is the last question. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've been given? 
just remember that God made you. Just you. You're special. He knows your name. He loves you. And be the woman that, or the man, or the kid that he meant you to be. But he's there for you. And you are special. I think that's something that some people don't, you know, think, oh, well, we're not like them, or why we're not like that. But no. He made you. And he loves you. And you're safe with him. Now, I'm going to end with this. Maybe we don't need more clarity. We need a deeper and more trust in God. We don't need more clarity. We need more trust. And uh, jumping up and down and saying, please, God. No, we, yeah. We need more knee work. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up every Monday that you will not want to miss. So make sure that you're subscribed on whichever podcast platform you're using. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave a review so we know what you're enjoying about it. And enjoy your day. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. uh, classic awkward goodbyes with Jenny. It's not awkward. I'm just trying to be creative and come up with new ways of saying goodbye. I guess I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fair, <bye>. enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough.